it's a great story, isn't it? And, and I had like wanted uh, to use that last week. We just couldn't quite figure it out, and uh, so I shot it to Ryan, and he was uh, in the airport. And uh, tell us what happened. Yeah. So, uh, so here's a picture of uh, taking off at SFO San Francisco. Uh, so this is later in the afternoon, in the evening. Uh, so I'm sitting there in the terminal waiting to board the plane, and I watched that clip that we just watched. And, uh, and then I board the plane, I get on, and I have the, basically the entire row to myself, lots of leg room, which I was pumped about because I'm not exactly short. And, uh, and I look down, and sitting between the seats is a wallet. And I just... I just like, could hardly believe it after just watching that video clip that I get on the plane and sitting right between the seats, and I, I'm a pastor, right? So <laughs> it means, one, I don't get paid very much, and it means, two, I, it was, there's no question what I was going to do, but it just kind of, you know, Scott and I were talking about it, and I was like, this is so funny that this happened, and, uh, and part of being a person of integrity is not only in the big things, but in the small things. How are we going to react, and how are we going to deal with them? Right. And so uh, we just wanted to share that with you this morning before we move on to truth. There you go. All right. Thanks, Ryan. You never know. You just don't. You just never know. And you never know when there's opportunities to be a person of integrity and uh, how God will use that. And, and today we talk, we're talking about trust, and I think it's the same kind of a thing. What are sort of those core value pieces that make up uh, a person of, uh, who is following hard after God. What is it? What makes us different? I, I thought about that and I thought, you know, maybe a, a better title for this series is not just the impractical life, but, but what I mean by that is what sets a true follower of Jesus apart? If it isn't those core things, if it isn't integrity and trust, what is it? Those are the things that's that's in the world's view what makes life impractical. But from the perspective of a person who's following hard after God, those are the things that set us apart. Those are the godly living kinds of pieces. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and I, I like uh, lots of different types of sports. And so this week I've been watching the NFL draft. And the NFL draft is where the professional teams, like they all have their order in which they're going to draft college players. And uh, they vie for those different places. They get certain draft uh, alignments depending on how they did in the year. But then they also trade up and trade off. And, you know, all kinds of different things happen in the NFL draft. And the first round of the draft is, uh, is pretty much, uh, it, it's pretty exciting. You've got lots of the bigger name uh, players in college that are being drafted and all that kind of stuff goes through. And then uh, the draft is over several days. And when it winds down to the final few rounds of the draft, it gets down to the very, very end. And at the very end of the draft, there is the 200, the last pick is the 253rd pick of the draft. And the 253rd pick in the draft, the last pick of the draft, is usually, it is, it is given to the team that won the Super Bowl the year before. So the Denver Broncos would have that 253rd pick. And the 253rd pick has its own kind of nickname that goes with it. And it's called Mr. Irrelevant. 
It's kind of a fun nickname thing. Don't get too upset about that. But that's what it is, Mr. Irrelevant. And, and uh, this year, something very interesting happened in that a team, another team, the Tennessee Titans, actually traded to get that draft pick. That, that's just unheard of that anybody would even trade to get that final pick because that person would be a, a free agent outside of that. But they did. And what happens is the, the, uh, they have a, a jersey made up, and it was made up as a Denver Broncos jersey, and on the back it has Mr. Irrelevant right on the back of the jersey, and they take the picture of the guy and stuff with the jersey. But this year, the guy has this jersey that's a Denver Broncos jersey, but he was taken by the Tennessee Titans. I just thought that was pretty funny that, that the guy that even has this distinction gets the wrong jersey. I mean, he's even that irrelevant. That's kind of bizarre. But, you know, we can feel like parts of our life at points are kind of irrelevant when it comes to God. We can think, does God really even care about that part of my life, that situation I'm dealing with? You know, that health problem that I have, that relationship that just doesn't seem to be working. Our, my finances or whatever, we can, we can feel like, you know, am I Mr. or Mrs. or Miss irrelevant to God when it comes to that area? Am I? Am I in that, that kind of perspective on my own life? And, and I would just say to you today, none of us are irrelevant to God. We have a God that looks at us as His children, valued children. All of us are relevant to God. The parts of our life are relevant. The way we live out our relationship with God is incredibly relevant. Not only to God and to us, but to people around us. That's why I think this series is such an important one. Because it speaks about the areas of our life that really do and can stand out for God. So I want to talk about trust today, but before I do, I'm just going to pray for us. God, I know that for all of us in this room, there are times, there are situations, circumstances where we feel uh, at a loss, we feel somewhat irrelevant. Do you care? Do you know? And yet we know from your word and the promises in it that you're deeply involved in life with us, that you deeply care about each of us. So today, God, would you kind of remove some of that weight, if we feel that today, of feeling irrelevant to you? Would you just remove that away from us and pour into us the relevancy of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be yours? Jesus, we pray that in your name. Amen. I'd like to kind of pause, uh, kind of press the pause button in life right now for us because I want us to look at this area of trust. When it comes to our life, and our experiences in life, let's say that uh, we have to put someone in charge of a million dollars of our own money. Maybe we don't have a million dollars, maybe it's $500, whatever. But we have to choose a person that we're going to entrust a large sum of money to. Who would we trust with that task? Or maybe as a parent, you have to determine some unbelievable circumstance, but someone else is going to have to raise your kids. Who do you choose to raise your children? Or maybe beyond that, maybe it's uh, there is, uh, you have to open up your deepest darkness secrets of who you are to some person. Who would you choose to do that with? You know, maybe, maybe for some of you it would be a psychiatrist or Dr. Phil, but it probably would be a close friend. 
Who would you choose? Those are matters of trust, aren't they? I don't know what your answers would be, but I'm sure that in every case you would choose carefully. You would choose a person that you could trust. You would entrust things that are valuable to you to a person that you could trust. One of our greatest concerns as a human being is, in life, who can I trust? Not only with the things that I've mentioned, but with all kinds of stuff. Who can I trust? If I need to take my car into the shop, is it a trustworthy shop? Can I trust that mechanic? Who is it? Who do I trust? God has a lot to say about trust and trusting Him. And one of the greatest disappointments we can face is to trust someone and have it be misplaced. We've all experienced that. We have all experienced when we've put our trust in someone and they've fallen through. It hasn't gone well. Something's fallen apart. We know what that's like. Who can we trust? Perhaps the most memorized verse in all of verses in all of the book of Proverbs are these from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him, for He shall direct your paths. If you have not memorized those two verses, let me encourage you to do so. If you know those verses, lean on them. You probably already are. You know that they are great help and strength and support to you. I want to look at those today. They're probably the most important when it comes to understanding what it means to trust God. The Hebrew word for trust literally means to lean your entire body or weight of your body onto something and have it be secure. To lean all of your weight of who you are onto something and find it to be secure. That is to trust. We trust all kinds of things. You and I walked in here today, sat down and trusted that the chair we sat in would hold us up. We trust in things all the time. Trust is an interesting thing. We trust that when we press on the brakes of our car, it's going to actually stop us. We trust that if we have something important to share with someone, that's highly, highly uh, important to us and confidential, that when we give it in counsel to that person, they'll hold that confidence. That they won't let that confidence be shared elsewhere. Trust always has an element of risk. The very nature of trust is that it is dependent on someone or something else in the process. If we trust in the chair, we trust that it will hold us. If we trust our brakes, we, we trust that they will stop us. If we trust in another person to be confidential with matters, we risk privacy. There's always an element of risk with trust. We don't trust oftentimes because we don't like the risk. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. This proverb urges us to trust in the Lord. A reasonable question to ask is, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Can God be trusted? Is He a reasonable risk? We don't trust people because we get burned. We've all experienced those kinds of times. 
I remember as a kid that uh, I was probably about eight or nine and uh, in, in our family, and we had people all the time in and out of our house and, and all that, and we had family friends, and my parents had uh, a particular friend, a guy, and he, he would come over for dinner every once in a while, and he was, I think, uh, kind of a loosely connected business associate with my dad, and, and they'd become friends, and he was over uh, quite a bit. And my dad had, in, had gotten and in, in inherited a, a stamp collection and a coin collection from his dad. And this person, a friend came over and was talking, and he knew quite a bit about coins, and he knew how to get connections and figure things out, and, uh, and, and, uh, and he was able to help us figure out, like, what the value of stuff is and all of that. And, and so my dad gave him the coin collection to get it checked out and find out its value and what it was worth. Never saw that guy again. Never saw him again. He'd been in our house all the time. He was a connected business. Never saw him again. We don't trust because we've all been burned. And you know, as a pastor, I deal with a lot of people. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of people that I've had in my office who have difficulty trusting God. And what I find in listening to so many of them is it isn't really about God. I have to separate out the problem, the circumstance, because they've gotten burned by a person who claimed to be a follower of Christ. Or they've gotten burned by a church. Or they've gotten, you know, something happened to them in some circumstance where they were trusting in what they thought God would do. And, and it's, it's very difficult sometimes to, to shift their thinking, to get them back on track, to, to get rid of that other stuff, to let it go and focus on a God who loves them and sees them as relevant and important. Because he does. Some people can't get over that hurdle. The scars are too deep. The pain is too deep. The circumstance they went through was just too debilitating for them. And at other times, it's like a major breakthrough when they've let go of that other stuff and they just grab onto God. Don't let go of God because of something that's happened in your life from another person or a church or an institution or whatever. Grab onto God. Don't let go of God. Choose God. Throughout the Bible, God speaks about trusting Him. God says He won't abandon us. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Put your full weight of all your problems on Him. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, But the person who trusts in the Lord will be blessed. The Lord will show him that he can be trusted. From Isaiah 26, 4, God is our sure foundation. It says, so trust in the Lord always because he is our rock forever. That is a strong, strong God. When we begin a relationship with someone, the relationship is at a certain level. It takes a while to deepen, doesn't it? If you're a married person, um, and I'm so glad that Colton and Courtney are here today. I'm so proud of you guys. They just got married a little over a week ago, and God's with them. Yeah, you bet. You bet. But for any of us, if we're a married person or if we're developing a friendship with somebody, it starts at a certain level, doesn't it? 
And then over time, it deepens, right? It, it, gets, it becomes more personal. We share more things with that person. With our relationship with God, it's meant to continue to deepen, not to level off at some point and like, well, I pretty much know about God. No. It's like, how do we root deeper with God? How do I become more deeply enmeshed with who God is in my life and not settle for kind of a plateaued relationship with Him? It takes some work. It takes some doing. It takes some care along the way. What does trusting God entail? I want to give you three things today, and I'll give them rather quickly. But first of all, uh, before I do the first one, let me start out with this. I, I um, Years ago, it was some years ago, and our family, our extended family, there was about 30 or 40 of us, we went to Yosemite for a big celebration. I think it was one of my parents' Uh, wedding anniversaries, and there was birthdays, and we just lumped it all together and went to Yosemite, and we stayed down in the lower area near Camp Curry, and had, we're having a great time. We were there for three or four days, and, and in the process of doing that, we went to the, to the kind of gift shop and bookstore, and in the gift shop, it was just at the time when I think they're called stereographs, had just come out. Those are those things where you look at for a while and go cross-eyed, and then stuff erupts in there that you don't see right off the bat. You know what I'm talking about? And we're in this, uh, in this uh, gift shop, and those had just coming out, and back in a back corner, there was a bunch of them, and they were pretty good-sized ones that were matted up, and then some were mounted on the walls. And as we walked into this store, you could hear people going, oh, oh, wow, I see it. Or what? I don't see it. I wasn't. Oh, oh yeah, I see it. And there, you, as people began to see what was in that uh, stereograph. And I remember going over and looking at him, and it took me a while to kind of get it, and then I saw one. Then I remember a guy came walking over. This man came walking over, and he stood in the aisleway, and he looked at all these, and people were oohing and on and seeing different things, and he stood there for the longest time, and he goes, there's nothing there. I don't see anything. There can't be anything there. And he walked out kind of in a huff. And the rest of us were like, yeah, that's cool. It was great. It was like that. So, hey, I've got one for you, so let's put it up. Might take a minute to see it. We got it? And again, maybe you can't see it. We're looking for it. There it is. Okay, got to kind of work at it for just a second. Try this in the first service. They didn't get it. So this is the accelerated group, so I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Can you see anything in there? It's not the Lord's Supper, I'm just telling you now. We did practice this between, so I know it can be seen. Anyway. Okay, that's probably enough, but, but here's the deal. It's a star. It's a, there's a star in there, and if we were to spend the next three weeks in here looking at it, we'd, we'd probably find it, okay? Because we're not going to do that. It's a star. But it's not the point of it being a star, but here's the deal. If you're following along in your notes, this is the deal. Trusting God means that you rely more on the unseen than the seen. And that's just an example of there is something in there. But a lot of times at first blush, we don't see it. Trusting God, oftentimes we rely more on the unseen than the seen. It means I trust God when I can't see, can't understand, don't get it, it isn't obvious. Or I only are looking through my lens and not God's perspective. Trusting God in the unseen more than the seen you remember Thomas, one of the disciples, had trouble with that. He was a pretty practical, down-to-earth, I got to feel it, see it, I got to all that stuff kind of guy. 
Jesus said this to Thomas after the resurrection. He said, blessed, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. We're in that category. We're blessed because we haven't seen, yet we believe. If you are a person who have kind of crossed across that line of faith and put your faith into the person of Jesus, you're a person who's trusting in much of the unseen. We can see the results of it oftentimes, but in the midst of things we don't always see, we trust God with the unseen. I came across this some time ago. It's about test pilots. There was a fascinating article written mostly for pilots titled, 178 Seconds to Live. Twenty pilots who had never taken instrument training but were very capable pilots when the weather was clear and they had reference points to follow outside the window were put into a simulator. And they were asked to try to keep their simulated airplane under control as they flew into simulated thick clouds and bad weather. The study reports that all 20 of them crashed their simulator and were dead. It was only a matter of how long it took each of them to lose control and crash. Simulated again, simulated. The average time of the 20 capable pilots was 178 seconds, two seconds short of three minutes. These were seasoned, skilled pilots that had great intuition, had been trained and trained themselves, and yet they lost their reference point and they crashed the simulator. And in all, in all manner of speaking, they would have all died. They lost their reference point. God is more than a visual reference point, isn't he? God needs to be our reference point, but he's more than a visual reference point. He's more than what is seen. We trust in a God that's unseen. And that's an important part for us to get. Here's the second thing. Trusting God means it involves my whole heart. Verse 5 of that Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're pretty good. I'm pretty good at trusting God with part of my heart. I slip in and out of that quite a bit. Sometimes he gets a bit more, sometimes a little bit less. But this proverb talks about trusting God with all of our heart. How do we do that? Trusting God with our heart. Many of us are pretty good with part of our heart. I read this some years ago about a, a college student who had a framed photo of his girlfriend. And I think he went in to get it reframed over time. And as he went in, he was taking it apart. And on the back, he hadn't noticed this before, but was this inscription that, to him that said, My dearest Tommy, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I'm yours for all eternity. Signed, Diane. And there was a P.S. If we should ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> From God's perspective, when we put our trust in Christ, there's no P.S. There's no P.S. God's commitment is total to us. 
Anything less on our part would miss out on what God's trying to do with us. Trusting God with completeness. Even though we're incomplete people, we can move toward completeness with God. Trusting God with our heart. Here's the third one. Trust, trusting God means you admit that He's wiser than you. That's not easy for us. Because for most of us, our understanding pales in comparison to His. But for most of us, it's difficult because we like to think that we're pretty sharp. We have a lot of pride. We have some arrogance. We do have some understanding. We have information. But this is what it's saying in that proverb. Trusting God goes beyond human understanding. On the positive side, we are to trust God, the Lord, with all of our heart. Negatively, we're not to lean on our own understanding, our own abilities, our own insights, our own wisdom, our own information packet. We're not to lean on that. And understanding means wisdom and knowledge. It means just what you think to support your weight on something, to lean onto God's wisdom and knowledge. I like this quote from Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, outside of Chicago. When he talks about leaning not on your own understanding, he says, all it's saying, friends, is that even those of us who are pretty smart, and have lots of life experience. Even those of us who did good in school, like honor roll types, human logic is still often limited and sometimes flawed. Human intuition is sometimes dead wrong. Our best notions about the way things ought to be sometimes are ill-advised or destructive or dangerous. When it comes right down to the key decisions of our lives, we need more than our limited wisdom can offer us if we don't want to crash. We desperately need the wisdom of God, His mind on the matter. When He gives it to us by His Word or by His Spirit, we've got to trust it and live by it. We've got to trust. We've got to trust God. That's what that's talking about. Trusting God. Leaning not on our understanding, but trusting God. Hmm. Does it mean that we throw out wisdom or knowledge on our part when we trust God? Not at all. God gives us wisdom and understanding. He tells us in Hebrews to ask for it. James, ask for wisdom. Seek to grow in wisdom and knowledge. We don't empty ourselves of our intellect when we come to God. No, God reinforces it and builds off of it. But we need God's perspective on wisdom and knowledge. I love what it says in Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you. Listen to this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Now on your outline, if you're following along, there's a little kind of threefold promise of guidance. Just fill it out as I give it to you. It'll come up on the screen. Here it is. I will instruct you and teach you. That's God's promise. I will instruct you and teach you. I'll be the teacher for you. I'll give you instruction. I, won't, I don't have to stop doing that. I'll keep doing that. As long as you're my student, I will instruct you and teach you. The second part of that is I will counsel you. I'll give you wisdom and insight. I'll give you the direction. I'll give you correction. I'll give you instruction. 
And the third is, I'll watch over you. I'll keep my eye on you. You'll be seen by me. You'll be relevant to me because I care about you. I've got my eye on you. You're one of my beloved children. Not like the horse and mule that don't get it, that need to be guided to and fro. No, they lack understanding. The third line in, verses, uh, in verse 6 is this. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let's get right to the point of what that means. Whatever area of your life you decide to keep God out of, whatever you decide to retain control of and mastery of and manage your way instead of God's way, that one area is likely to be enough to imperil the quality of your life and the lives of those around you. When we try to hold on to an area of our life, whatever it is, it's got a measure of mastery over us. We're not giving it to God. How many holes does it take to sink a ship? One. Doesn't even have to be that big. How many areas of a life will it take to sink a life when it's not given to God? One. Don't let things master you. I have to say that to myself. Don't let things master you that you think you can control or you think you've got it underhand or it'll be, it's not that big. No. I need God's help. Acknowledge God. Means to recognize God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. Recognize God and what He's doing. It's for all of our ways. The details, the aspects of life, God can handle all of that. He knows when one bird dies. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And here's the promise, God's response, and He, and He will direct your paths. Literally, that means to make smooth, to make a clear path. It's like if we were to, to build a highway through a mountain area and we'd have to blast out the rocks or we'd have to carve out a tunnel and there's debris laying everywhere and there's boulders in the way and there's stuff all over the place. It's saying, you know, God wants to be the one that can remove the debris and the barriers and the boulders of our life and clear a clear passage way with God. God wants to be the one that removes the obstacles to allow you and I a clear pathway for His direction, for your life and for mine. That's what He promises. That's what He wants to do. That's His job, not yours and mine. God's job. He will direct. He will make a straight pathway. He will make a clear passageway. It is trusting that God will do that. It doesn't mean that we don't find and are not faced with difficulties and hardships along. Those are the boulders. That's the debris. That's the garbage. That's the stuff in the way. And we can try to navigate around it, but a lot of times it's like, no, God, I recognize it's there. God, you need to clear it out of my life. You need to clear it out and keep my passage in the direction that you've set my life. For some of us, the real question is not, can I trust God, but will I? Will I trust Him? Some people are hesitant to trust God. 
Maybe you're just investigating God. Maybe you're at the point where you're just early on with God. That's okay. Keep asking questions. Keep seeking. Keep talking to people. Get after your questions. God can handle them all. But maybe some of you are more than that. Maybe some of you are like, I, I'm trusting God, but I've kind of got that PS thing happening in my life where I trust Him to a point, but if it doesn't go right, if it goes south some way, I'm going to kind of bail over here. I'm not going to give God all of my life. I'm only going to trust Him with parts of my life. Or I'm going to retain pieces of it, of my life. Some of us are at that point. Some of us are full-blown ready to give God pretty much everything we've got. We're exasperated by the way things have gone. We recognize it's not working the way I'm doing it. I need some help. To all of us, I would say this. Today, why don't you take a flying leap of trust? Why don't you take a flying leap? Maybe it's just a short hop of trust today. Maybe that's all you need to do. Maybe it's just an area of your life where you go, that's the one area I'm just not giving to you. You just need to take a, a hop of trust. Maybe you need to, maybe it's that maybe you need to take a, a little bit more of a, an Olympic jump. Maybe it's kind of a Herculean for you, Olympic jump to go, I'm going to have to trust God in these areas in my life. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm, I've got this stuff. I understand it, but I'm not letting it go. I need to let it go today, and I need to give it what I've got to get there. And maybe for some of you, it's like, I've got to take a flying leap. I've got to give it everything I've got because it's not working. In some area of your life, you're going, I have got to trust you because I'm not doing it, and I'm only going to be the person you want me to be if I take a flying leap of trust. That's a good thing. God can handle a person that wants to take a hop, a concerted effort jump, or a flying leap. God will handle all of them, and he wants to today. At the very bottom of your outline today, I wrote this down, and, and just take a moment. If you don't have to pull it out for a second, I'm going to give you a minute to fill this out. But at the very bottom, I wrote this. Where do I need to trust God? Where do I need to trust God? And then the first one is this. Where do I need to trust God in my life? Then there's a line. Just write down. In my life, there's an area. I, this is where I need to trust God. Yeah, we all got them. Just write it in there. In your life, where do you need to trust God today? Just write it in. The second one is in my relationships. Where do I need to trust God? If there's a relationship issue, a person, whatever, in a relationship, where do I need to trust Him with a relationship? Write that in there. And the last one is in my church. Where do I need to trust God? Something I don't get about church, something's happening in church, whatever it is, just write it in there. I need to trust God in this area in the church. I'll just be quiet for a moment. You just fill those out. Wow. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you that you care, that you care that we trust you, that it's important to you that we learn to trust, that we grow in our ability to trust, and that in trusting, it's where we find freedom in you. 
It seems so impractical sometimes to trust you. It just seems easier for us to try to do everything on our own. But we're not made that way. So today, I I pray for each and every one of us because there are some areas of our life for all of us where we need to take a flying leap of trust. God, would you give us the courage to do that today and leap your direction? We pray that, Jesus, grateful for who you are. Amen.